Hey, this is Pastor Mark. You do not want to miss this week's podcast. You're going to laugh till you cry, but it's good tears. They're good tears. So, man, tune in. Listen to this podcast. It's going to inspire you, encourage you, and, and prayerfully help bring change that you desire in your life. God bless you. Thanks for listening. Good morning. Stand with me if you would, please. Hold your Bibles up high. Say, this is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. I can do what the Bible says I can do. Today I'll be taught the Word of God, and I boldly confess, my mind is alert, my heart is receptive, and I'll never be the same again. Never, never, never. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Um, We're continuing the series on pain. Your pain does not have to remain. Many people live their entire lives in pain. And pain, for the most part, uh, not all physical pain, but certainly soul pain is how we think. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So our thinking, oftentimes, if we would just simply shift our thinking, we could shift ourselves out of pain. We've often told people, you're making too much of this situation. You're overthinking it. And those things are so often very true. And so last week, I addressed regret that is unresolved. Uh, Many people have regrets in their lives. I I wish I would have done this when I was young. I wish I'd have gone to college. I wish I'd have gone to the military. I wish I hadn't made some of the mistakes I made. And you live your entire life looking at your past. You cannot change what you've done, but you can change what you're about to do. And so it's very important that you address regret in a healthy, wholesome way and go, yeah, I wish things would have been different, but they're not, or they weren't, and now I'm going to make different choices. And so that was regret unresolved. This week, I'm going to talk about anger unaddressed in the weeks to come, beauty overlooked. Uh, you know, it's, it's very difficult uh, to find beauty oftentimes in a world filled with chaos. And we have to look for it. And I, not just, I don't just look for it, I talk about it. If I see something beautiful, I say, wow, that's really beautiful. What that person did was very beautiful. And so when we begin to say things, the things we say get back into our soul. Not, not just in other people, but you need to watch what you say even when you're by yourself. If you say, I'm so stupid. No, you're not. You have the mind of Christ. The wisdom of God is available to you. You're not stupid. I don't care what the test says. I don't care if you finish last in your class. You can finish first in God. We have to quit talking to ourselves in a condescending fashion or we will live an insecure life. And now, people that are insecure and and angry and worried and bitter, they're going to get mad at you and call you arrogant when you say, man, when God made me, he broke the mold. And then bitter people, I'm sure glad he did. You know, and you just have to look and say, I don't care what you think. I'm not controlled by what you think. I'm going to speak well of myself. 
And I want to encourage, this is the beginning for many of you. You're waiting on somebody else to tell you how wonderful you are. You don't need to wait on another person to tell you how wonderful you are. The Bible tells you how wonderful you are. And all you're doing when you say, I'm a wonderful, fearfully made individual, is agreeing with God. And when you agree with God, great things can happen. And, and, you know, but you grow up, you're being told, you know, who you're not, all the dumb things you've done, you'll never amount to anything. Those things get in our soul. And they not only hurt, but they make us angry. Anger is a secondary emotion. In this case, hurt would be the primary emotion that causes you to be angry about the way you were raised, the mom and dad you had or didn't have. All of those things play into you not enjoying the abundant life that Jesus has for you. And so it's, it's not, I wouldn't say it's simple, but I would say it's a simple beginning if we can just readjust how we think. And then uh, friends undervalued, I'll be talking about that in the weeks to come, a lot of the pain that we have, we don't realize that we've not valued the people in our lives, and we've not communicated that value. Uh, we live in a world that most of the time when somebody opens their mouth or many times they're, they're frustrated i'm frustrated i'm angry i this happened to me that happened to me and i want to encourage you to begin to say things differently it will help contribute to all uh, of every area every category i'm talking about and then the last thing which is probably the most important is god underestimated we underestimate god and that's where a lot of our pain comes from because we've underestimated God. So let's go to anger unresolved. Psalm chapter 86, verse 15. But you, O Lord, are compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. So some people say, well, I never want to get angry again. I want you to get angry but I want you to get angry at the right things. I'm angry when I sin. I'm angry when I talk bad about you or myself. I'm angry when I don't tap into God when I should have prayed about something and didn't. I'm angry about that. But it's unhealthy to get angry at other people. It's okay to get angry at sin, giving in to sin, uh, not doing the right things, the things you know to do. Those are things you want to get angry about. I'm angry that, that, that I didn't respond appropriately. I'm not angry at myself, really. I'm angry at my response. I'm a good person. And some people say, well, you know, I don't agree. Well, you know, I didn't ask you. Quit asking people if you're okay and just declare you're okay. You know, everybody's going to have an opinion, and sometimes you ask an opinion on a day that they shouldn't be asked anything. They ought to be locked up for a day. They're dangerous, you know, not to just themselves. They're dangerous to you and society. And so the reality is that we heard great things growing up, like if you don't have anything good to say, don't say it at all. It's a great thing to know. So I did some things uh, this morning, and I'm going to share them with you. I took an anger test. You know why? Because I can't fix you, but I can fix me. And so... We, we're too often trying to get everybody else to adjust to, to, to our weaknesses and adjust to our insecurities and, and adjust to our temperament instead of saying, you know what, I'm going to quit asking you to adjust. I'm going to start making adjustments. 
One person said, for every minute you remain angry, you give up 60 seconds of peace of mind. Every minute that you're angry, you give up 60 seconds of a peace of mind. Another person says, anger is a wind which blows out the lamp of the mind. Oh, that's a good one. Anger is the wind that blows out the lamp of the mind. In other words, if you're angry, how many of you know you will probably do things you wouldn't do if you were in your right mind? So anger causes us to make mistakes that we wouldn't otherwise make. And somebody says, well, you know, I got a speeding ticket because you were such an idiot. I was so mad at you that you made me get that ticket. No, your foot was on the accelerator of that vehicle. Now, somebody might have been in your mind, but it was your foot that caused the speed to happen. So we spend a lot of our time getting mad and then getting mad again when something bad happens because we were mad. The Bible says the anger of man does not achieve the right standing with God or the righteousness of God. Now, some of you, as I'm preaching this right now, are getting mad at me already. I'm going to propose something that I don't like to propose, but I'm going to propose it anyway because I think it's true. I think everybody has anger issues. We just respond differently to the anger in us. Some people live their whole lives anger, angry, suppressed, acting like little angels, but inside there are demons running rampant. You're angry. And so, I'm not angry. Just press long enough. You'll find a button. Everybody has anger issues, and if you don't think you have anger issues, you really have an issue. Now, some people have learned to manage that anger by the Holy Spirit because one of the fruit of the Holy Spirit is what? Self-control. We need self-control to control the anger in us or to control the attacks against us because there are people in every one of our lives that somehow gained access to the buttons of our soul. And they push them. And I'm going to take a step further here and say sometimes it's by the will of God. God doesn't cause it, but you won't grow until you know what that button is and why you get so angry. So if you don't know what it is, you can't fix it. The first step to healing is feeling and knowing why you get mad. When angry, count to 10 before you speak. If very angry, count to 100. Just because a person doesn't express anger doesn't mean they are not angry. How many of you know that some people are masters at the silent treatment? I'm not mad. Don't talk to me. <laughs> liar, liar, pants on fire. I would say that many, if not most, type A people battle this maybe more than others, or at least in expression. 
But I know some really introverted people who are, are far more angry than any extroverted people I've ever seen. They just have a way of manipulating their anger so that they are not perceived as angry. Now, I can preach this because I lived a lot of my life as an angry person, demonstrating anger in a very real way. Hurt a lot of people, I'm sure. Got a lot of things done. How I many you know angry people get stuff done? But they got a lot of trash along the way. <laughs> you, go, you look back and think, yeah, they got it done, but they killed about 100 people doing it. Now, not physically, but... We hurt people when we get mad. Anger suppressed. People close to people who are angry may be aware of their explosiveness and are careful around them. In other words, I, I know of certain people, and I can promise you that I would be right if they would be honest, is a lot of people show you their anger in order to keep you away from their intimacy. I don't want you to know who I really am, so I'm not going to let you close to me. So they get angry, so people always walk on eggshells when they're around them. If you have to walk on eggshells around somebody, there's something wrong in that relationship. Now, I'm not being mean. I'm just saying you should not, none of us should have to walk on eggshells for fear that someone's going to get angry. Now, there's nothing wrong with being sensitive to people's weaknesses, and if their weakness is anger, you can certainly minimize the possibility of them getting angry if you don't get stupid but how many of you know on any given day you're feeling spunky and you think that you are the holy spirit that's going to help them get through their anger by making them angry and then telling them they're angry which makes them more angry i'm getting close to home today why? Because this is not something anybody likes to talk about. We don't like to admit it. I tell you, I am, I am so thankful to be free. I could admit that, that I, I mean, I just grew up in a very angry culture. And let me tell you, today, with everything going on in the world, people are mad. People don't want to wear masks. Why? We were not born with them. We're not used to them. And, and, and being mandated as a free country, it's very difficult. People are going violent on airplanes and they're they're getting angry and that's what we're dealing with in in this world today now i do believe that there are times that that we have to stand up and we have to address issues but you know the bible says speak the truth in love not in anger speak the truth in love and that means that we can address wrong, we can address things we disagree with, but we can do it respectfully. When you do things angry, it intimidates others and creates an atmosphere of distrust and fear because people don't know what you're going to do when you're explosive. And so it's very important that we think before we speak. Some people use anger, as I said, as a defense mechanism to keep other people away. Most people have to deal with anger issues on some level. Now, some people, there's what I call categorical anger. Relationally, you may not get angry, but driving in Oklahoma could cause a tremendous amount of frustration. I'm just saying. There are cities where people really learned how to drive, and then there are other cities. 
And it's like, no, we just threw them in the pickup truck when they were 14 and said, get her done. <laughs> they didn't go to a driving course. They just figured, here I come, get out of my way. And so I have to, in my own life, I, I use preventative measures. Like if I know there's traffic somewhere, I'd rather go 20 minutes out of the way than sit there in the midst of knuckleheads. People. I would rather do that. And you say, well, is it that way? No, what you really do, what you're saying is, I know the threshold in my soul, and I'm not going to feed things that I feel like are inappropriate or counterproductive. So it doesn't mean that you necessarily just absolutely get over the anger. You adjust to prevent anger from getting over you. So I don't put myself in places or positions where I think I might not be able to handle this situation. Now, when my kids were young and, and, and I was younger and just I've always been just extremely type A, and I, I hated when they were kids. I mean, number one, I had four kids, five and under. Word of wisdom, don't. My daughter in Miami's got two boys, and she said, I think I want another one. I said, no, you don't. Listen to somebody who had enough kids to start a daycare. And we, we went to Disney World, and I, I mean, you know, people, it's late at night. Kids are everywhere. Characters all over the place. Stupid is rampant. And so I thought, I'm going to beat the crowd because they always have a parade at the closing of Disney. And then right after the parade, stupid begins to march by thousands. Now, I'm not saying I should have. I had other choices to make, but to prevent myself from my own weaknesses, I said, we're leaving. I deprived my kids of parades. I think they're still a little bit like this. Because <laughs> I just thought, I, I, I'm going to kill somebody in the name of Jesus, and then repent. I'm not proud of it, but I am saying this. I can look back now and go, I know that I was playing to my weakness. I, I should have stayed and said, in the name of Jesus, I will not. We'll just sit here until everybody else is gone. What about that? But when there are that many children in one park, it should be illegal. It ought to be like boarding a plane. You're in group 1,282 to leave the park. That way you know that there's going to be a small group of you walking out at the same time instead of a mass of, of just dumb. No one, now get this, this is really critical because I heard this my whole life. And, of course, when you grow up in Redneckville, you hear a lot of things you don't hear other places. You make me so mad. There are a lot of problems with that statement. Number one, you're telling somebody else, hey, hey, you're in charge of my life. Do what you want. You make me mad. What you're saying is you control me. When somebody else can make you mad, they're in charge of you. Get that deep in you, because that'll irritate you too. 
And that might make you mad in the right way so that you, you, you're like, oh, I ain't letting them make me mad anymore. You can't make me mad without my permission. As, in fact, I choose to be mad. Even if you're stupid on steroids, I still choose to be mad. How many of you have ever been driving down the road and you're, you're a half mile away from somebody getting ready to turn out and, and you're thinking they're not, and right when you get 100 yards away, they pull out in front of you. Help me, Jesus. Not Beach Boys, help me, Rhonda. Help me, Jesus. But it's almost like by design. You know, it's like, okay, God goes, I'm not causing this, but I'm going to let them pull out. And now I just kind of slow down, reach in the back seat for a Red Bull. <laughs> just kidding. But if you say somebody else makes you mad, you're not taking responsibility for your own emotions. Now, as a pastor for more years than I would like to count... There's not a Sunday that goes by that I don't make somebody mad, which means I'm in charge. If you ever tell me that, I'm going to say, wow. Father, Son, Holy Ghost, and Mark Crow. The quadrinity has now stepped up. See, I shouldn't be able to. I mean, I know I say things that every now and then, no, a lot of times that provoke. But, but one of the things I love is I can't go from the glory I'm in today to the next glory. The Bible says we're going from glory to glory. I can't get to this glory without addressing the things that, the glory I'm, that, that, that I'm presently in. God says, I want you to go here, but you're still hanging on to anger and blaming other people for your anger. You're mad at your mom and dad, and you're, they're dead. Pushing up daisies and serving Jesus up in heaven, looking down at you going, I don't know why you don't get it. You're mad. And you know what? You're not going to change them. Now, if you can, this is the next step. There's a thing called codependency. And there are people who want attention, and they don't know how to get it appropriately. This is a good one for your kids and for everybody else. So people like to get mad if they know when they get mad that you're going to come to their rescue and be nice to them and coddle them. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. It's going to be okay. They will do this the rest of their life as long as you respond that way. If somebody gets mad around me, I'll walk away. I'm not going to go over and coddle your anger because your anger does not achieve the righteousness of God. I'm enabling you if I come and coddle you when you get angry, and you'll do it to get my attention the rest of your life. I'm not going to give attention to people who are angry and disrespectful. Because when you do, all you're doing is feeding that, that monster in their soul they're in pain, and they want you to experience the pain they're experiencing. And so you have this, you feel like a rescuer. This is what codependency is. They need you, so they get mad to get your attention. You give them the attention, and you both feed off of that. Well, I'm a hero. Every time he or she gets mad, I go calm them down. They'll keep getting mad, and you hate their anger, but you feel good when you can take care of them when they're angry. You're sick, too. 
We don't like to say we're sick because then it implies that we need to do something. Can I say something? We all need to do something. We're changing. We're being transformed. Our minds are being renewed, or at least they should be. And so when I get around people who are angry, the Bible tells us in Proverbs not to even hang around angry people. Because angry people are typically mean people. We don't like to say that anymore because that's politically incorrect. Nobody's mean. Everybody's wonderful. Where'd you get your fairy dust? (laughs) Quite frankly, we have wonderful moments and we're creating the image and likeness of God. But we are carriers of sin. And when I say that, makes some of you mad. No, I'm just totally renewed. Let me talk to people who know you well. We are all dealing with issues. And when we get honest about the issues, we get healed of those issues. But as long as we lie to ourselves, we're lying to God. And God says, I'd love to help you, but you're lying. I love you, you little liar, my little lovely liar. Because, see, God's totally honest. I mean, Jesus never went around playing games. He called the Pharisees what they were. He called things what they were. We don't call things what they are because we are told it's inappropriate. It is appropriate to speak the truth in love at all times. You can say it nicely. If somebody's being mean consistently, you sit down with them and say, you know, I've just noticed that you're pretty regularly mean. No, I'm not! Just record it and then play it back to them. Say, this is not mean. You're being mean. Anger will cost you relationships. But more than that, scientifically proven, that if you are an angry person, you will have high blood pressure. You will have all these other physical symptoms. And you will probably die prematurely. So some of you are hoping your husband continues to get angry. But anyway, <laughs> don't get mad at me for saying that. It's just, it was just a test. Speaking of tests, this quiz I took this morning, there were 20 questions. I still get angry when I think of the bad things people did to me in the past. Can you answer that question in your mind, not out loud? Because a lot of people live angry of what happened in the past, waiting in line. Now, this is one I had to say true. Waiting in line or waiting for other people really annoys me. (laughs) That's how come I take alternate routes when there's a lot of traffic. Because it really annoys me. And then, because when there's a long line of traffic... People are texting or they're on their phone thinking, well, the light's never going to turn. And then you can see two cars in front of you that it's moving and they're not. That's why God made horns. And I am not afraid to use it. Every now and then Susan goes, Mark, I said, we could have made this light three times if it hadn't have been for texter up there. Instagrammer, Facebooker, Twitterer. Get off your phone. If I was a police officer, I'd just walk around looking into windows. Right, I'd write more tickets for texting than any 20 cops. We talk about driving drunk. 
Texting is worse than driving drunk. I'm sure I'll... Don't bother. I'm going to email him and text him. That makes me so mad. Tell somebody who cares. So... I have to recognize, I recognize, so I take this quiz, and honestly, I passed with flying colors. I just got to tell you, I'm pretty proud of that. I really am. I, I, you can go ahead and clap. I, that was a setup. Uh, I, I mean, I had to really struggle, only 20 questions, but I thought, this is like handpicked for me, because I mean, I really had to think through it. And you know, 20 years ago, I would have failed 19 out of 20. Probably 20 out of 20, but I lied on the one. I needed to feel good. Give me one prop. And then I'm mad when it won't give me the prop. But the joy of life now is I realize if the greatest compliment you could pay me is you're out of control. You're right. I am out of control because God is in control. And for years, I, I was totally in control. And it was the worst thing that ever happened. When I finally went, God, you're in control. I don't have to tell someone when they're stupid. I'm going to trust that you will. (laughs) Most of the time he won't, so it must mean I was wrong. Most of the time he'll try to encourage us and and, and help us because he's a good God. But one of the, the ways to overcome anger is to find a way to love people in the midst of their problem. Not enable them, but to love them. They say, well, I'm so glad you agree with me. I I don't agree with you, but I do love you. And I'm going to always love you. But I'm not going to allow your anger to get on me or in me. So if you're around an angry person, you will become an angry person unless you. And your walk with God is so strong that they will change according to you. But most of the time, people who get around angry people become angry people. If you walk with wise people, you'll become a wise person. So it's very important to identify those weaknesses, and we all have them. So I I really, you know, for years as a pastor, pastors are expected to uh, create or present this, this persona that we don't have issues. We probably have more issues than any of you, which is why God has us talking all the time. (laughs) I preach to me every week. I hope you all get something. (laughs) Every week, this is about me. Not just about, I'm not coming going, well, I got this together. I'm going to help you all out. No, I come in going, okay, I'm going to let you all sit in on talk between me and God. (laughs) And the joy of being able to say that today is that there would be people who would say, well, I can't go to a church like that. Good, because there are thousands of others you can go to that are not telling you the truth. Anyway, so (laughs) that probably came out more tacky than I wanted it to, but it's already landed and done. No, I'm just telling you, I've been in this world, this church world, a long time. And we're, we've got a generation, and I have five kids in this generation category that are just really done with a polished presentation of humanity because none of us are polished. We are a work in progress. We are a bunch of people that if you shower physically every day, 
silence. You probably need to shower a hundred times spiritually because what's going on in your soul is a lot stinkier than what's going on in your body and mind. Now, I said going on in there. The attempt by Satan is to get us to act in ways that separate us from God, really not separate us from one another. That's real easy. But but the reality is he wants us to be separated from God. And our anger, many times people say, I just can't live for Jesus because I just can't get over this. God loves you just like you are. And they can't love you anymore. This is not about that. This is about you being filled with a love that, that not only changes you but changes others around you. Love never fails. And if somebody were to ask me one of the top ten things that you would want in your life before you passed away, this would be in the top ten, if not the top five, to never give myself to anger. Never. Except to be angry at sin, to be angry at the devil, to be angry at hunger. Over ten years ago, I started a ministry in Africa to women that were being trafficked, opened an orphanage. The day that I picked up 15 kids from the government, I had to go to the government building, had a house for them, moved them into the house. And as they were coming in, I had to remove myself from the house to go to the back house privately where I cried for about one hour realizing what God was doing here using someone like me and I realized in that moment these kids had been through enough they didn't need anything else but love they didn't need anger they didn't need me to be angry at the government they didn't need me to be angry at the parents who had abandoned them they what they needed was they needed me to love them Anger may move you towards something, but it must never keep you there. Yeah, I was angry that these kids were hungry, and that anger drove me to do something about it, but the reality is it wasn't anger necessarily directed toward a person. It was directed toward the absence of food, the absence of love, the absence of shelter. Angry that they didn't have that, but loved the fact that God let me be a part of their life. I can say with great joy today that I can preach this message today whereas 10 years ago I would not have been able to preach it with any conviction. I can preach this with great conviction today. Probably the greatest compliment ever paid me happened just a few years ago after Susan and I got married and one of her adult children asked her in front of me, because we, you know, we've spent a lot of time together, said, does he ever get mad? And I waited for Susan's response. <laughs> I thought, I'm going to back up on this one. She said, I think I've only seen him mad once or twice, and it wasn't even really mad. Now, you can say you don't get mad, but when somebody else says you don't, that lets you know you probably don't. I could tell you I don't, but when I heard her say, I think maybe once or twice, and I wanted to say, when? <laughs> My flesh wanted to go, what? I've never been mad once or twice in front of you. 
But I actually was just extremely thankful because I thought, you know, God's doing a work, and I want God to do a work. I want him to do a work in me. I want him to do a work in you. But the reality is if I focus on God doing a work in me, then I can have an impact on the work God's doing in you. So you're not only going to help yourself live a long life, you're not going to release poison toxins into your body by your anger and your attitude. There are a lot of things I don't like still, but I'm not going to let those things control my life. A lot of things I disagree with, just like you do, but I'm not going to let those things control my life. You are in charge of your soul. Mom and dad aren't. School teachers weren't. You know, everybody has a bad day. When somebody has a bad day, don't get mad at them. Send them flowers. Tell them they're wonderful. They'll bite at you just like a chihuahua. But just encourage people. When somebody gets angry, say, you know what? Praying for you, which will make them even more angry initially. But I'm praying for you. And they'll say, you're no better than me. I didn't say I was. But when I get mad, would you pray for me, please? When I do something wrong, would you pray for me? Because I think that's the best thing we can do for one another is, I'm going to pray for you. I believe in you. You can overcome anger so easily by just applying principles of love, grace, mercy, forgiveness, encouragement. Letting people have that moment. Because if all they do is have a moment, we all have moments. You just pray that their moment doesn't become a movement. And we can stop the movement by addressing the moment properly. That's all Jesus did. When he sees Zacchaeus in a tree, the whole world hated him. He was a thief. Jesus just loved on him. He didn't say, now Zacchaeus, here's what I expect from you. He just said, today we're going to go eat at your house. I'm assuming Zacchaeus with his wealth, had a chef. <laughs> and in the presence of Jesus, in the presence of love personified, Zacchaeus just began to repent. If I've robbed anybody, stole from anyone, I'm going to pay him back. Jesus never told him to. Jesus just loved him. I know that that may not be the end-all, cure-all, but it's the beginning of the end and the cure, is to love people. And we're living in an angry, angry world. And there are a lot of angry preachers who don't want to be angry, but they don't know what to do or what to say. And, and it's hard. I agree. And, and you know, you thousands leave the church. Thousands quit preaching every week. It's a tragedy. The challenge is, and this is what I have learned, and hopefully this is right. I'm not saying it is, but I hope so. When I came back, I quit preaching to you. I started preaching to me. And as I stated, hopefully you'll benefit from the conversation God and I are having. <laughs> and this one was one I've waited on when I drew this sermon up, was waiting to talk about anger because it breaks my heart when I see people doing things they wouldn't normally do just because they're angry and do I understand their anger many times yes I do that that it, it but I don't endorse the response to the anger I don't judge them for anger 
but the response, we've got to soften the response. So every time I fly, and I fly a lot, I just really try to encourage flight attendants, love on them. Some of them are as mean as snakes. And I mean mean. And I, ha- I guard my heart because out of it flow the issues of life. And I try to have a very loving response to that anger. They may not change on that flight or in that moment, but I promise you people don't forget when you've loved them. When I first started ministry, I'll close with this. I worked for, I was in a Methodist church and had a, a pastor who was a really good guy. And uh, I hated hospital visitation because I, I, I'm just one of those guys, rise up and walk, you know. My bedside manner stinks, okay? But I asked him, I said, how do you do this? People are dying, families are mad, the, the nurses didn't treat them right, doctor hasn't showed up. All, there's a lot of emotion in hospitals. And I remember these words. People won't remember what you say, but they'll remember that you were there. So just be there. Don't worry about what you say. Don't, if you say nothing, the fact that you took the time to go. Recently... Uh, an acquaintance of mine that I grew up with on the west side in Tulsa. Um, I knew this kid. We, you know, we never had any issues between each other, but we weren't best friends. And uh, he was going through and currently still is going through quite a bit, multiple surgeries. And I happened to be in Tulsa. And I just felt led, Susan and I felt led, to take time out of the schedule to go to the hospital to see him. And when we went, they wouldn't let anybody up but a preacher. And I said, well, I'm, I'm a pastor. And they said, okay, go on up. Susan had to stay down. And I went up to his room, and he was out of it. He was on a ventilator. It, it was, he had back surgery, leg surgery. It was a mess. His sister was there. He didn't even know I was there. But God said, go pray for him. And just went to be present with him and just prayed and then left. And he didn't know until a long time later that I was even there. I didn't go for the applause. I went because I felt like this is something that I need to do to kill my flesh and act like, not act like I don't have, you know, I don't have time for you. Our steps are ordered by the Lord. Your presence can change somebody's life forever. And I'm praying to this day, I'm following the process and the progress of his life. You matter. Your attitude matters. Your words matter. Watch them. Guard them. You may have the opportunity to pray for somebody that you hated five years ago. That you shouldn't hate anyone anyway. But let's face it, there are people that are called sandpaper. And they are roughing, rubbing the splinters of our soul off. They're not bad people. Matter of fact, there's not one bad person on this planet. They're just some really good people who have done some bad things. And if we can see it that way, I believe that's the way God sees all mankind. As horrible as many people have been and murderers and all of those things. These are God's kids. These are God's kids. And we need to treat them like they're God's kids. You're God's kid. Don't let anger rule your life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for a peace that passes our ability to understand. 
May our lives reflect your life. May our lives reflect your love, your grace, and your mercy. When we are tempted to get angry, let us pause and remember that rather than getting angry at us because of our sin, you died for us. You laid your life down. May we do the same. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I want to encourage those of you that have not received Christ or those of you who are separated in your relationship mentally, spiritually, emotionally, whatever it might be with God. I want you to pray this prayer with me. I want everyone to pray this. But there are those of you right now that God is going to deliver you. Now, I'm saying this prophetically because most of the time we grow gradually, but God is also in the deliverance business. And there are people that I've talked to that some people take some years to quit smoking. A friend of mine said, God did it in one day and I'd smoked my whole life. Now, I don't know why God would do that for him and not others, but he did. And there are those of you right now that are dealing with anger and you've dealt with it your whole life and it's cost you multiple relationships. I prophesy today that God is going to deliver you in this moment. He's going to deliver you. So I want you to pray this with me. Say, Father God, thank you so much for sending your only son to suffer and die for my sin. Jesus, thank you for giving your life for me. Today I give my life to you. I give my anger to you. I give my frustration to you. I give everything to you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, I want to ask you to text the word SAVED to 405-500-1310. Text the word SAVED to 405-500-1310. Very important. And put your name in there. This is important that you understand you're not alone. You, you feel like you're the only angry person on earth. You, you've done more bad than anybody else on earth. You're, you're the worst of the worst, and you're not. You're the best of the best. You just haven't looked in the right mirror. And today, I believe God's going to show you who you really are, who you were made to be. You are a wonderful person, fearfully and wonderfully made in the image and likeness of God. You need to tell yourself that even when somebody else calls you something you don't want to accept. Don't get mad at them. Just say, you know, I'm working on me. And God's working on me, okay? Hello, this is Pastor Mark Crow. I just want to take a quick moment to thank you for joining us online. We hope you have a blessed week this week and get to be a blessing to those around you. I want to invite you to join us at Mosaic Church OKC next week at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. or join us online. God bless you.